Thanks for tuning in to Jin and Tantra. Based on some recent reading I have done, I have come to some conclusions about the nature of some aspects of our personas, i.e. our egos. I give my definition of this term and compare it to the general understanding in everyday language and in psychology in hopes of illuminating a facet of ourselves in a new and meaningful way. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jen and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing for. I want you to get together. Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Hey, fellow GNTers, those of us who like our spirituality with a twist. So we are doing an episode, we finished up a series on enlightenment, we're moving on. We want to do an episode that is really about something innovative and a little different slant, creative, that uh, uh, Daniel primarily wants to share, especially about what it means for human beings to have egos, specifically based on E-G-O-S. That's the foreshadow. And yeah, you know, uh, Daniel shared, it's a very like uh, very thought-provoking idea. So anyways, that's our that's our concept for the episode. And I, mean, I think what you were talking about, Daniel, is you felt like it's kind of a word that gets tossed around a lot. And yeah. uh, you had some thoughts on that. So yeah, for sure. So, you know, I, we hear it, right? The, the word gets used a lot. This person is egotistical, or this person is an egomaniac, or even in like spiritual circles, I think, They'll talk about it like you have to overcome the ego. You must kill the ego. You must transcend the ego, you know, and it's one word that gets that's used in different scenarios all the time, relatively ubiquitously. But I don't think the context of that as much the language that we use, I don't think there's much context and people just use stuff without, I think, going into the more like deeper meanings as to what it could represent not just for oneself, but for people like in, for people in general, because it is sort of a, it is sort of an archetype of our personality, actually, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's like saying depression, right? We have, a, we have, a, we know what that looks like and feels like maybe within us or people who we're close to or, you know, whatever, we can kind of feel that. But this is something that seems to be more psychologically based. And mm -hmm. um, my contention here today is that it is, but it's so much more. So we got kind of an interesting slant on it. So I guess part of what you're saying to me would be like, even if you talk about something like depression, that means different things to different people. Yeah. And even in our little Chinese medical world, which is, you know, one of our home bases in doing this to share, you know, like one person's depression in Chinese medicine is not another person's depression. There Correct. are different kinds of depression and actually like a number of them and they're not all the same. And they have to do with like maybe even different physiological mechanisms behind them, let alone like psychological. Mm -hmm. And then you take a word like ego, and I think that was one of the interesting things like you were pointing out is just that like people use that in many different ways. And so, you know, depending on the area of life you're looking at, people will define that thing in different ways. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And so uh, we're kind of like, I'm gonna, so we're going to just give a basic definition for the ego. I'll give two of them, one in psychoanalysis and one in kind of philosophy, because, you mm. know, we're going to do our best job at being good University of Chicago students, the Maroons, <laughs> subsequently wearing a Maroon shirt, if you're watching a, the video, you know. Go back to our Mary Kay first episode. She was like, you know, when I went back into undergrad, you had to define every single thing in the beginning, you know, and you're yeah. like, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it frame, so helps to frame the, the, the conversation. So yeah. uh, in, in psychoanalysis, the, this is the part of the mind that what they say anyways, or at least Oxford, uh, says that it mediates between the conscious and unconscious and is responsible for reality testing and a sense of personal identity. So I think the, the part the parts that stick out for me there, Eric, is like the the mediation between conscious and unconscious and like that that barrier between that. I think that fits moving forward with with what you know I'll bring up in a minute and mm -hmm. um reality testing is sort of ambiguous to me like I'm not mm -hmm. quite sure what that exact what, what that mean, reality testing like what is that is there a part of my mind that has like a test tube and a beaker you know and it's like all right here we go let's <laughs> see what this happened you know like it's a little scientific part of you that comes out with a Geiger counter and a whatever yeah reality exactly. test. Like, uh -huh. yeah I didn't Name I didn't says ego as the kids say, that one doesn't yeah. really hit right for me, you know? I'll, like, kind of give a take on it, like, in my little feedback on that. Sure. Um, I won't, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, like, like, as we talked about earlier, I didn't want to have the psychology run away with the episode, but I'll throw my two cents Yeah, in. sure. And then we'll yeah. just say, and then sense of personal identity, yeah, then that'll fit with moving forward. So that's kind of one part. Um, and then the other- I'll tell you what, why not throw my little psych thing in real quick before it, you get to it. the, like, the other part of it. Okay, so- you know, like I said, I don't want to have like, I wanted to talk about just this a little bit. I, you know, I was looking at like that. We always shop talk ahead of time. You know, we look at our show notes that we share with one another and we kind of like, okay, what do, you, what do we have to say about these things? And um, there's a lot that Daniel, like yeah, that you have to say. So I don't want to make a big thing about it, but I am giving a little preview for our relationship episode series that we're going to be heading into sometime quite soon. <laughs> the, uh, the clock is a ticking. And uh, so that means we have to prep that shit. And, um, and it's interesting because I think in those episodes, we'll be talking about a few major psych people. So if you like some psych people, that's in the offing, a, a little preview. We'll talk about certainly Freud. We're going to talk about Jung, Carl Jung, the great Carl Jung. Another great figure that a lot of people might not know, this guy named Wilhelm Reich, uh, who's a very interesting character. And a little bit about one of my favorite, Carl Rogers, who pops up here, uh, here and there in our episodes. And the funny thing about that is they all have different things to say about relationships. So that's the preview, I think, to the relationship part. Um, but they also have different things to say about what an ego is. And what's in the conscious and the unconscious. Mm -hmm. And so I think we'll go deeper into it. I think for Freud, he was mainly interested in the idea of like what people internalize that were either like societal values that are so deep, you don't even recognize them, mm -hmm. you know, and how that relates to more what you might call like animal instincts. So that was sort of his take that the ego has to mitigate between these two things. On the one hand, we have these sort of biological drives and needs that are there. And then we're also socialized creatures and that doesn't always fit, you know, the biological drives aren't always going to fit to like what the social vibe is going to be. That's just a complexity of living as a human being. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, as our beloved Bobby T says, uh, enlightenment is learning how to deal with complexity. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and I have someone else beloved to me who like has been pointing it out lately, <laughs> but in any case, uh, you know, the idea is that, you know, that's that, that's where this reality testing thing sometimes pops up. 
in the psych literature. Not that we want to spend all day on that, but that's where it pops up, Okay, you know, because there is this idea, part of the ego is going to, like the way Freud thought about it, it's part of what the ego is going to try to do is it's trying to figure out like, okay, there's this drive that are kind of biological. And then there's like sort of the social conditions and the, uh, the ego, the drives that are biological are more like immediate, you know, and they're probably like pleasure-based Right. Well, yeah. Big picture wise. Some of that's sex and we're going to do some sex episodes. Some of that's like if someone really pisses you off, there's some animal part of you that wants to like go at them like a howler monkey. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but you can't. So so the reality testing part was sort of the like, okay, then you have all these internalized things that are like um, the ideas, the values, the proper behaviors in the culture where you're from. Mm -hmm. And the ego has to reality test that shit out to say, okay. what do I want to do? What What's appropriate for me to do? How do I figure this out? That's the reality testing idea that he threw out there. Mm. And there's probably something to that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think the, un- in- the inherent underlying part of that is that like the deeper ass part, and I guess he would probably say the id at that point, right? Yeah, that's the id. That's the the it. Right. Yeah, the, like in the German, he had it as just like es. That's the word it. Like these animal feelings that people yeah. have. Yeah. Uh-huh. That, right. Like th- that's a large. He gives that a larger drive. Like yeah, for sure. I mean, he he's gives, obsessed with it. He's obsessed with that. And so then <laughs> yes. the ego in this case is kind of like a uh, a Confucian, uh, persp- uh, I don't know, a Confucian filter. making it's, all- like a, it's a mediator or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. making it fit in reality. I'm, I, I mean, he has this idea, this thing called the superego, which we, I'm going to talk about some of the time. But, you know, just the idea, like you have a conscience, which is kind of like the superego. So that's like your inner Confucian person going, wait yeah. a minute, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. don't go too out of balance. And yeah. that's not the way the youngest daughter should behave or the middle son isn't, you know, like that mm-hmm, kind of shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's Confucian stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, okay, that's that's that. Real quick, Carl uh, Carl Jung has this idea that there's this whole inner imaginative world inside. That's the collective unconscious idea mm-hmm. for another day for us. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because there's different things potentially in the unconscious and that has a lot of spiritual kick to it. From the medical side of us, that will be interesting. The unconscious kind of as the body itself too. Yeah. The body stores. I think some of the stuff that you're going to find interesting in your things for a different day. And then on the identity thing, we'll do a little bit about Carl Rogers and relationships, mm-hmm. but he has this whole idea of like self-concept, which is kind of like an ego idea. But he thinks they can go wrong a lot of the time, which I think is part of your idea too. Mm-hmm. That a lot of times this ego or self-concept thing just like goes wrong. And certainly it's a big deal in Buddhism and a lot of spirituality too. Anyway, so that's the kind of like okay. the, the two-second riff and no, a preview good. of what we'll talk about. That's so, good. you know, just to throw some ingredients in the pot for what we're cooking. Yeah, right? no, I think that's yeah. great. Yeah, that works well. Yeah. That's, that's what I wanted. That's what I, that's exactly what yeah. I wanted. So there, you know, and it's, you it was ironic because we're like, we're... Uh, I think we were joking. We haven't seen each other in I don't know how long, actually, in the same space. Mm-hmm. But we like sometimes run parallel thought patterns and parallel lives as people who work on projects like ours do. And uh, it's really funny because all the stuff you're bringing up here, I was like, oh, these are all the dudes I want to talk about, you know, for the part of notes I'm going to write for the relationship stuff. So yeah, synchronicity was synchronizing. That's right. As Carl Jung would say. So that's the psycho psychoanalytical part. The other part is the philosophical definition. Yeah. Um, and they 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 just gave this a, a quick few words. It says a conscious thinking subject. Mm. And which to me leaves so much almost more, you know, on the plate, right? As a possibility yeah. that we won't dive too much into, but we will get we'll touch this for a moment. Right. So in order to have a subject, there must be an object. Right. So what then is the object? So 
I'm going to assume that the external world is the object, which inherently gives credence to all of the sort of Buddhist ideas that things are subjective, right? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was looking through, you know, your thoughts and all of this, right? And I was like, okay, so at the end of the whole thing, because this will run away with an episode too, but it would be cool to talk about those Buddhist schools of thinking. Mm -hmm. And they're very experiential too. But sometimes it's called the Yogacara experiential school, where people have these insights of like, wait a minute, the difference between the subject and object, I'm partially making it up with my mind, at least partially, and maybe all of it, mm -hmm. right? I think I'm seeing a bunch of objects, but I might be really just seeing projections of my own mind in some way, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's also funny because of the parallelism, because I think when we do the relationship episodes, I also want to talk a little bit of like some existential psychology. Sure. And I was just doing research during the week, slightly prepping, you know, and just of my own curiosity on like uh, the great philosopher, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre and, you know, um, and uh, his long-term partner and other great philosopher, Simone de Beauvoir. And they're interested in this thing called not only existentialism, but phenomenology, where you kind of just yeah. look at like your own subjective experiences. And obviously we're doing a shit ton of phenomenology all the time. It's a fancy sounding word, but it really just means like looking at how people experience the world. Yeah. Which again is part of that subject, 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 object thing, you know, mm -hmm. and it probably mm -hmm. kicks in the realization of like, wait a minute, a lot of what I think is the object is probably like the subject. Right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So that's the question you're asking. So I, I think we'll be chipping away at that. I think in the Buddhist thing, maybe at the end, after we kind of like talk through stuff, but uh, I think this relationship will come up like this is going to be in our relationship episodes for sure. Yeah. So it's funny because a lot of this stuff, I was like, damn, we're hitting, you're bringing up things that I know we're going to be, we're coming to my mind too. You know, yeah. like, okay, this is stuff yeah. we're definitely going to be talking about. So this, um, yeah, so this idea then of like a subject and object, right, as like an internal experience that one is having versus their their outside experience, and then the, the merging, I think, between the two in, in what way is kind of how I'm going to frame this idea of our, our egos and egos, you know. Hey, Daniel, before we totally get into it, I wanted to throw one other person out for you that's slightly a preview, but I also thought you'd find her really interesting, so short thing but i thought when i looked at like how you were thinking about this i thought oh this is re relevant for what daniel's saying too and she's also been on my mind in the past week so cool just to do it for a second yeah yeah so it's this uh dr kim Talbear. she's uh kind of this amazing intellectual figure if you do a little search on youtube a bunch of videos interviews would come up and she's kind of a fascinating person so she's a professor at the university of alberta up in canada but her tribe people and in, in roots are in the peoples of the Dakota Sioux. So she's, you know, grew up directly within that Dakota Sioux culture and, you know, had, you know, like experience between the two cultures. She says a really funny thing. She says, basically, like she realized at a certain point, her whole career was doing anthropology on white people. Hmm. <laughs> I thought that's so perfect, you know, so true. And I, I had a thought like, okay, me too. <laughs> <laughs> my whole life is also anthropology of white people ironically enough trying to figure them out um but so her work is really fascinating in terms of this idea of relationship from the relationship side it's going to be really interesting to look at in terms of the idea of like relationships beyond just normativity she's a big proponent of looking at that and she has this idea for preview of what will come up in future episodes this idea of what she calls settler love or settler sexuality kind of this idea of, well, we'll save it. That's a, it's an interesting phrase though. And has a lot to do with like 
the way she sees how people have to live their relational lives as being part of sort of like authoritarian structures that were also the same kinds of structures that subjugated her people. So we'll look at it. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing to talk about. But the part that I thought that was really interesting for what you were talking about was her idea of relationality. And I couldn't help thinking about the shamanic part of your personality too, Daniel, when I was like thinking about this a little bit, because um, there was this whole thing about like, she kind of made, brings up this point that once this ego feeling gets so strong, it just naturally sort of psychologically starts to create this world of objects. You know, part of that world of objects is like having this sense of like a separate me and it cuts, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, there's like this old Beatles song, like a George Harrison thing. I mean, mine, I, me, mine. All of a sudden this starts, you know, and, um, in the relational side, obviously that's something like, you know, uh, we look at, we create ourselves and then we create their objects of, you know, uh, that are ours, mm -hmm. my lover, my significant other, my kid, my this, right. my right. that, you right. know, like that part kicks in, um, which I think is so deep for the things that I know are heart, close to your heart uh, in terms of that splitting. But the other part that I think is even like as much close to, you know, like uh, both of our hearts too, is this idea of like, this includes splits with like the natural world mm -hmm. that are so problematic in the culture. That there's this whole thing of like, uh, once you go, I, me, mine, then all of a sudden the world becomes mine. This becomes my property, my land, mm -hmm. my resources, my this, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. she's really big on this idea that this is like a, kind of the root psychological and psycho-spiritual problem, even though she doesn't use that, that spiritual word. And the other part I thought you would find really interesting, so like she worked a lot in environmentalism. And the whole idea is like, yeah, that's the problem from like a Dakota Sioux perspective. Eventually, there was this idea of this I, me, mind ownership. And what she tries to say in the Dakota Sioux thing, and I'm wondering if you feel this way as a shaman too, this idea that even the language is problematic because she says yeah. when you speak in the language of her people, it's all relational. You don't yeah. get this language. And so therefore, you don't get as much of this cutting up of the world. And then you don't get uh, that uh, sub subject object split subject and this object, possessiveness. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. You know, even... That's destructive that kicks in. So anyways, I wanted to throw it out to you because she's kind of fascinating. And ironically enough, I was just listening to her this week and I was like, wow, this is exactly what Daniel's talking about. Yeah. The language is important, which is why we do this and, and you know, sort of a related thing. And then we're going to get back um, in the in, in Quechua, you know, which is the South American sort of native tongue. And that, that gets spoken by a number of different tribes, but in, in particularly the sort of like ayahuasca tradition that I'll, you know, tend to work with more than others is they're known as the Shipibo tribe. And they're probably one of the longest standing kind of most well-known tribes that, that work with that medicine. They don't have descriptions for not good. They don't have descriptions for bad. Oh yeah. They just say like, not good. That's, that's the best, <laughs> that's the best they're going to do, you know, not healthy. But they uh -huh. don't have, you know what I'm saying? Like they don't have words for like terrible or things. It's, it's not in their language. And, and one of my friends, Remy, who was on the podcast a while back, um, mm, yeah, yeah. episodes called Kumankaya, he said that when he speaks in that language, it changes his mind. It almost makes him happier because the words that he's, the language that he's using is to totally different. Um, same thing. There's yeah. another book by a, a, a guy named Martin Prechtel. It's called Secrets of the Talking Jaguar where he kind of gives his his life and he's a half Native American, half white. He goes to South America, really great writer. But mm -hmm. one of the things he says is that there is no uh, possessive terms. Mm -hmm. So it's not our land, it's land. 
It's yeah, not my yeah, yeah. house, it's home. You know what I'm saying? Like, so there's a definite difference here, but which is, you know, what we do, you know, when we speak on here, we're speaking intentionally for sure. Obviously we joke here and there and try to lighten it up a little bit, but the things that we're bringing are of language based intentionality. Like we're using mm -hmm. specific words, hopefully most of the time to try and bring a point home, try and bring a point home because language is relational, right? It, it fits inside of a, a, a container when talking about some energetic thing or some philosophical mind construct, and then it's sort of stuck in there like a cage. And then when mm -hmm. it gets, when it leaves off of that, then you have to almost like start a new thing. What it, uh, there's a quote I like, it says, um, well, I'm not gonna remember it, but something about, it doesn't matter. We're moving on. <laughs> yeah, the funny thing was like, talk about quotes. My mom, I think got it for me somewhere. And it was like sort of a t-shirt and I can't remember which figure it was. It was kind of one of the great, sort of uh you know uh indigenous native american figures but she had it on a t-shirt and it was just like about the impossibility within you know uh, uh native american culture you know um to like think that you owned land just how crazy that was yeah you know? and i wore it around for years and i you know like it's the way that those words rub off on you even yeah. if it's sitting on your own chest you know? yeah oh, <laughs> like, I think like you know it's like you look at it and you're like yeah it's crazy you know, once you see that, it's just a bizarre idea. Why would you even have that idea? Yeah. It's so crazy. <laughs> the, the, the quote is, uh, I think he says, language is like throwing a net into the ineffable. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is very practically so, beautiful. So based, oh, uh, um, based on all of that. Okay, just one last thing about this. I want to just ask you, in this shamanic thing, and you know, I don't want to, you know, again, but just because you talked about like there's no bad do you think that's just because of an influence of like well, it's not a shaman that, that's their language the, that's within not... the language yeah within the language yeah. but like well i guess probably would connect to shamanic thought though right because that's the belief system within the thought well or... that's their the you know what survives from a culture is you know their medicine their artwork their language right you know what i'm saying so this is part of part of their medicine and how they i mean but it is it is part of their culture as well yeah i'm like the, the subject object thing just because we end up talking about dualism, right? Yeah. And, you know, dualism has so many meanings to it. But the thing that just hit me from what you're talking about is like, you know, we live and we're all brought up in this culture, which is like very dualistic in terms of like good, bad too. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we got like in the culture, the idea of like the ultimate bad, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, some little yeah. sitting out there that's like right. not just bad, but like bad right <laughs> all capital capital b-a-d yeah, yeah and you know like you sort of i can remember like you know there's something like in zen you know, when i first started doing it and then the tibetan buddhist world too i remember talking to people about this especially people who came from really strong uh you know western religious backgrounds it was a lot to like give up that idea of like bad you know like it's in there and so people feel a lot of guilt they feel a lot of shame yeah. they yep. feel a lot of this around this bad idea i think it's something that i can imagine you and mary Kay talking about and maybe we talked about in one of the mary Kay episodes mm -hmm. in some ways already mm -hmm. you know perfectionism and having to be yep. all perfect and you know otherwise you're bad and this whole idea of like uh feeling bad like i'm guilty and maybe guilty for like who you are and what you want i was talking to someone you know that i love a lot in the past week about this and just this whole idea of like guilt feeling bad sure who like you really are you know what i mean because you can feel bad down to the core or something yeah, but I think you have to have that concept of even like feeling bad. You have to have some dualism or something, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. which I guess yeah, but, is part of what you're trying to explain with this ego thing too, as you go through it. Yes, but no, because yes and no, because the other part is that like that. But there is a thing as ethics, 
Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? So like, well, yes, they're, yes, they all, uh, dualism for sure exists and it does make, it can make people feel bad for sure. But, and then that, 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 that is not mitigating of like behavior that is more apropos for compassionate existence. You know? Yeah, but it changes what, what, different different episodes different, in some different, ways. Different, different episodes, but there is something interesting in that, just in the sense that like, what's ethical or not ethical in different places For is sure. different. Right. And so there's that one feeling of like, well, let me like not harm people. Right. Let me not like just be an asshole. Yeah. About that, things that. that's different than like. Uh, I'm going to feel bad for other reasons where you start saying, well, is this really bad or not bad right. actually? Correct. You know, that's a weird question. Correct. That probably does relate to the whole idea of an ego and it even gets back to some of the psych stuff because once uh, you start internalizing values, you know, depends on what you've internalized. Yeah. Well, let, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Right. So it's perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so I want to give a little bit better understanding of this um, apparatus, right? This sort mm-hmm. of idea of, and so I'm going to refer to it as our egos, E-G-O-S. And we all have some various facets of it, right? And what does E-G-O-S stand for? Because it's an acronym and, you know, you'll see it in the title of the podcast and I'll leave it in the description, right? E-G-O-S, this is the existential guardian operating system. So it's kind of like a program that we have within us. And all right, so why the, why do I feel the need for this delineation? And And I could say that after reading about trauma from like a psychological and societal perspective, and then diving into some sort of more modern Chinese medical texts, I ran across some similarities in the discussion and and response to kind of treatment of trauma, working with trauma, something like this. And mainly that it's not that the act itself, but how we respond and live with it thereafter. Now, I'm not minimizing the effects of various traumas that people have and to say, well, it doesn't matter what happened. It's what you do with it afterwards. I'm not saying that there are definitely. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And yeah, we're not, this is not some kind of like weird Republican, you know, thing, right. That's not real in life. You know what I'm saying? Um, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You put the books bootstrap things in the actual notes. I didn't mean to jump the line. I did. Um, (laughs) I didn't even realize you said it. It just popped into my head too. Yeah. Because it's because it comes, because it's such a, it's such a, you know, like whack-ass quote, you know what I mean? Like it's just such a a tripe set of words. Anyways. um, I'm really interested where you're going to take that because this is obviously we're talking a lot about trauma now in the culture in so many ways, which is good, right? This is being discussed and, but you're talking about like, uh, nuances around it and stuff so i'm curious to see where you're going with it mm-hmm. yeah so so as so so i'm i want to say that like the effects of these experiences shape shape us in one way or another good or bad for better or worse hence this kind of act this hence the acronym the acronym right and it's my further assertion that like the idea of ego or as i'm calling it egos is a response mechanism actually right so it's a response mechanism to our experiences. Now, whether we want to call those experiences trauma or, you know, phenomenology, experience, like however, whatever act, whatever, whatever, whatever we kind of internalize in the process of our growth and development. Exactly. That, yeah. that mm-hmm. this, this then system. So if we think about it, like a, like an air defense system or some other kind of like, I don't know, laser alarm that Tom Cruise has to go through and, and uh, Mission Impossible or something like this, you know? Yeah, lots and lots of little lasers facing everywhere. <laughs> exactly. And Catherine Zeta-Jones has to like sexually claw, sexually, yes. sexually crawl her way through it. She's getting, old, she's getting to the- Sean Connery like drools as she's doing it or something. Yeah, is yeah, that yeah. that old movie? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, she's working through the ego of the, uh, of the, of the museum, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
but um okay so then all right so this is this is kind of like my assertion right that uh-huh. you have an you have exp- everybody has experiences right and that this is the response to it however so wait a minute, really quick daniel yeah. then it's the g part that's particularly important and part of this right it's guarding something it it's is part of a defensive something. mechanism psychological apparatus and you're the coining of the phrase yes it existentially protects the person correct and it guards and so it's kind of operating like yes. in a wary way mm-hmm. yeah and it's always running yeah 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 mm-hmm. and it's a program mm-hmm. and you know we get, if we're going to talk about it we're, we're going to go back to our hardware versus software right discussion yeah right? i could definitely thought about your default mode network fascination yeah. with this too mm-hmm. yeah, yeah so 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 i want to say okay so all right so let's just for argument's sake say that this is a truism right for right now or some version of it is true right well when when does it start right we think oh well, well you're talking about trauma so it must be when you're in, in childhood and actually the answer is no I mean, it does start in childhood because that's when you start. So it has to start at some point, right? That's the beginning of the clock. But when when does the clock actually start? It starts with the people who created you and who created them and who created them. And it goes back further. And why why do I say this? Because there are so many, you know, learned behaviors that we observe and just learn through osmosis and then recreate as we go on. You know what I'm saying? And not just behaviors, but like ways of being, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. the way if, that we are growing up, if we grow up in a poor, a more, a, a less wealthy area, you know, or if our parents grew up in a less wealthy or even like war torn country, immigration, you know, all these various possibilities that we might be subject to, not necessarily in our own childhood, but in others. And, you know, the books that I've read definitely talk about this, but I could say from my own perspective, you know, my family came here. I wasn't born yet. My mom was about 12 or 13, but they have this, a different mindset around money and like keeping everything really tight and getting what you need because you got to supply for so many people. Was that like part of like your Palestinian roots going back? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And Uh this, and I was talking to my mom about just like, you know, money, finances, whatever. She's like, you're the son of an immigrant. I would expect you to be no different than how you are. Mm -hmm. And it just, Mm -hmm. it just hit me. I was like, oh, well, yeah, I for, you know we forget because we're in our own life and we're growing up and so on and so forth. That like those things influence us. There's been, and there's no two ways around it. So um, to be aware of this, I think is is kind of like the 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 beginning place that we can kind of like start to become conscious of how we're acting and, and interacting in the world. And then you take this inherited thing, right? Inherited behaviors, inherited influences, and then you have your own individual karma and stuff like this for how you're going to be then you exist now 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 you have all that and then you're you you're eric Mm -hmm. you're in the world and you have your experiences and for you it was you know kind of a violent household and a Mm -hmm. you know sort of like i'm not going to say a sketchy area but like you know not exactly uh, you could say white trash or maybe you can't i can you (laughs) can't as we were joking before the episode unfortunately those are my people Uh. Yes, they love me. No. So you Unfortunately. Have, so, but so, and so you have all these various experiences. Now, look, everyone is going to have their own life history, but everyone has one. No mm-hmm. one is without some effect on their person. I'm not saying everybody was traumatized. I'm not saying everybody was beaten up or bullied or whatever. That's not because that's not true. It's not true. However, the the level of influence that somebody has on them 
varies person to person, household to household, and even child to child. Even if what they're, you know, how one parent treated an older child versus a younger child versus a middle child. And you know what I'm saying? What they went It's through. the irony because my brother and I were just talking about this yesterday. And, uh, you know, he's a private person. I don't want to share his business. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was really true that we had different impacts from different people. Yeah. And you know, even the four adults in the house, for both of us, we kind of realized like three out of the four were really nasty to us, but it wasn't the same three, you know, hmm. you know, the person, one of the people who was, I never had any issue with my whole life, nasty to my brother, hmm. you know, and the same reverse. There was one of the people who was really nasty, like could have killed me, you know, if things had gone a different, I like, would have been dangerous. Some of the violent stuff like didn't negatively affect my brother almost at all. So anyways, it's interesting because you know, there's a lot of parallelisms that just, you know, we, we, we kind of sometimes find ourselves in these synchrony synchronicity modes when we're yeah. planning these things. And like, I was just having this conversation. Yeah. But you know, I was going to ask you something else, Daniel, before, because you're kind of talking about something kind of deep, which is if you use medical fancy language, you would say etiology, like sure. where do things come from, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like what's the cause of something? Yes. And so I was looking at this part of this conversation and I was trying to think, okay, so what are we talking about here? So partially when we talk about our ancestors, Part of it occurred to me is that we could be talking about like the socio-cultural things that the people before us built. Yes. You know, and so we're living within that for good yes. or for bad, you know, we're living within that framework. You know, I got issues with parts of the socio-cultural framework and I think it's going to fit into this, but I think part of you are talking about that. That's true, right? Yeah. Yep. You know, they live in a world that was created. And so in that sense, we're connecting with our ancestors. Yep. But then I couldn't help but also think about kind of the shamanic aspect of this too. And I wanted to kick that around a little bit because I think this is really fascinating and it's part of how like maybe different spiritual traditions maybe talk a little bit different, you mm -hmm. know? Because mm -hmm. I think in talking with you and Mary Kay, as you know, two of my shamanic, uh, and actually one other person too, who I mentioned a little bit, like the, the, the shamans in my life, <laughs> the beloved shamans in my life. Um, there is this idea of almost like how the ancestors in, impact in a, a more subtle kind of psycho-spiritual way that we carry the kind of remnant and history of our ancestors. And, and I yeah. don't know where this is, like totally was in the discussion for you, but I thought I wanted to throw it out because I think it's one of the things that was, is in the area of cause. Yeah. That I would, you know, I thought it would be good just to hear deeply what you think about that a little bit for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, I mean, and that's why I brought it so up. What do you think about it? <laughs> that, that, yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly why I brought it up. And yeah, part, I hope that jump on your notes. I wasn't sure I didn't see it that way, but mm -hmm. no, you're good. I mean, part of it is that mm -hmm. like there, there is, so there, there's a guy I like to listen to. He's kind of a famous, not super famous, but his name is Sadhguru. He's like a yogi person. And uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen like I, I never watch really. He pops up on YouTube all the yeah, time. Yeah, he, he has this funny right thing. thing. <laughs> he says, he says, do you know your great 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 grandmother? And and the person always says no. He goes, oh, then why do you have her nose on your face? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good line. Yeah, no, yeah, it is. It is a good, good line. One. And and I think for me, this is part of like the whole movement to become you know enlightened, whatever that means is to become not only conscious of unconscious processes, but to look at all of the, the things that we have inherited, which end up being many, many psycho-emotional aspects to us that are just there as like standard operations that go on without checks, balances, um, 
or even, I don't know, much awareness. It just, things just sort of happen and, and, and come out. And so as we kind of like move forward in our lives, like I have, oh yeah, the, the, the responsibility on the person to kind of like do this sort of reflection on themselves, number one, but then to do like healing in, in a sense, healing on themselves, not only heals at least, and this is the way that I think is probably going to be viewed when, you know, and it's, I, I'm noticing the words coming up a little bit more like ancestral healing. I'm, I'm seeing this like, as you do what you do to you, you're also doing it to the other beings that are connected to you. Right. And, and I don't just mean like, Oh, that's my brother. And he lives in not, not my literal brother, but and what's up brother. Like anybody who I meet, you know, like your actual people who are connected to you that there's work being done that happens outside of linear time. And then if you take that, <laughs> that like you can have an effect on, on numerous people around you, you know what I'm saying? And not just, not just like people in your vicinity, but people who are related to you in one way or another. Hey, uh, so uh, we had a little uh, technical faux pas for <laughs> Uh We were right in the middle of talking about this whole idea of uh, ancestry and maybe like a shamanic take on it, which I find really interesting because amongst my uh, shamanic peeps, there's a slightly different attitude towards this and it fascinates me. But anyways, I was going to bring up just in the synchronicity of the whole episode, I for reals had a patient yesterday, longer term patient. One of the ones who I've done a lot of the sort of are, you know, the Taoist, Buddhist acupuncture, Chinese medical stuff with, who has kind of like a, probably shamanic roots somewhere back in her thing too. And she did like an ancestral healing ceremony. And it was cool. Uh, it was a longer thing. They did a number of rituals. She described parts of it to me. But even when I looked at her Chinese medical diagnostics, I mean, it was better. I was like, yeah, this looks good, you mm -hmm. know? I'll take some credit for it, you know, but nice. I was also very like, good, Eric. Good work. I was, <laughs> but I was also like, cause like, okay, this looks really good from these rituals. You know what I mean? And I was like, and I, I, we were talking and she was kind of like, oh yeah. In a, in a certain part, it was my part of the medicine got her a place to do things. Now she's doing things mm -hmm, and that's mm -hmm. even accelerating, you know, the whole thing. And I was like, yeah. And like, it's making the medicine better. You yeah. Know what I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like if you look at the whole circle. So it was like pretty, it's pretty amazing. Like I was like doing her, you know, in Chinese medicine, we checked the pulse at the wrist to kind of like mm. read health of the body. Different organs are affected there. And I was like, this looks good. Mm. You know, I love it. Looks great. Mm -hmm. like, this is fantastic. And I think, um, uh, you know, from her point of view, it was, there definitely were things that needed to be healed within her immediate family thing. Correct. But we were also talking about, and that was part of probably even our medical work had a lot to do with that mm -hmm. we were talking and you know just in how you sort of intuitively feel things with people i was like no this is going back deep what you're trying to heal mm -hmm. we're talking about not people you would ever know mm -hmm. in your lifetime you know this is like historical deep things she's trying to tap back into and maybe like parts that have to do with like again like her lineage and what she finds of value in her lineage and things like that mm -hmm. so i was just interested in this whole thing because i think it's part of the episode obviously uh that you're bringing up here too this idea that we're yeah. tapping into something ancestral that goes beyond just how our parents were yeah and or i mean our grandparents or something yeah i mean you think about it how many you know how many uh generations of us are carried in in the in the female ovum you know 
I mean, how, how many generations are there? Does, does your, were, was I inside of my great, great grandmother? I don't know exactly how far back it goes. And then, so there's this like infinite, like physical connection. And then there's the energetic connection that like, there is, we do inherit epigenetic changes, right? They've, mm-hmm. they've shown this the time and time again throughout different studies. And so if we, if we can inherit positive epigenetic changes, well, then most definitely we can inherit it negative epigenetic changes and given the amount of trauma that i mean like societal trauma right genocides and the killing like this just was a lot more pillaging i mean i'm not saying it doesn't happen today but you know say what you will about modern society you know once in a while i stick up for it there is a lot less mass suffering you know than than there was previously under like many different under the feudal system or the during the dark ages or you know whatever the case is and we have the ability to speak freely and so on and so forth so we can start to like think for ourselves and then look back and kind of work on some of these things that are inherently part of us that are, you know, like you talked about earlier, deep in our unconscious mind. And, and we could probably even say in our unconscious beings as the the parts that sort of like innervate the body in the nervous system or in the DNA, ho- however you want to look at it. So I, like in the notes for this, I was kind of going like Chinese medicine, we sometimes use this word Jing. Yeah. It's translated as essence. Yeah. Right? So we'll do a little traditional Chinese medicine stuff here. And, um, and part of what the essence is, is the Chinese reference to like the genetic code and DNA, right? When you right. talk about DNA, what's the TCM, traditional Chinese medicine equivalent? You say it's in the Jing, you know, and that's your kind of your epigenetics thing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That these things are kind of carried on going forward. So some of it obviously is like what we can talk about in the Jing. I guess some of it can be that whole like breaking the chain, like breaking the cycle of abuse, you know? Mm-hmm. There's no doubt I thought about that too. There probably was some cycle of abuse that's probably psychological, mm-hmm. right? Within, you know, my family lineage or something. Somebody got abused over here, somebody got abused over there, and someone back in like Russia or whatever in Europe abused somebody. And like those were all like learned behaviors that like Correct. filter down, right? Mm-hmm. the the familial culture you know like that's a problem in the familial culture perhaps and maybe we can cut it you know and my kids don't get that experience right mm-hmm. um, and then some of it is probably more like uh like subtle energetic factors yeah that like reach back through time yeah right like you were saying transcends time and space or something i think before we get cut off yeah. right Yep. This transcendent, like somewhere back a long time ago something energetically the dog is moving in the background Hey, for the first time, uh, and has ancestry, dog ancestry, but like, <laughs> right. uh, you know, like moving way back, there's going to be something where, you know, that's the sh- certainly in the shamanic view is like rippling through. Yes. Right. So you're trying to cure things that will go back in time in a way. Right. Yep. Yeah. And, for, and, and maybe forward. I mean, it's and forward, outside of, and forward too. It's yeah, outside we're, of space and time. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're talking about outside of time. So there's, so there's all of this that then that comes into who we are as beings, right? And so can I say one more thing about that now? Because I just want to get yeah. your feedback on this. So yeah. for me, I have to say, you know, we were talking with my patient and I was like, you know, I got like, if you look at me, like how I think about it, I got no interest in my ancestors whatsoever. Sure. I don't give a shit about them. You know what I mean? Not in a, not in like a, that could sound right. like, I don't care. They can all rot in hell. No, I don't feel right. that way. It isn't something I had really thought about. And I thought about that's a kind of a, a weird thing because I know like some, someone like you, we've talked about this for a long time or like this patient or other people I know in my life, they feel like this thing of connecting back to ancestry. And I don't, and I don't know entirely what that means. 
it certainly could be probably, you know, like a blind spot in how I see things. If we want to look at it from a shamanic point of view, and I don't mind saying that I might not see that part of things. And maybe I should look more deeply at that. Mm -hmm. But um, there's a little Buddhist part of me that's like kind of looks from the point of view of like, um, there's the line of the Jing and there's a the line of the ancestry. But like, when you get into like reincarnation stuff, you don't really know who the hell anybody is. Correct. Anywhere. So part of your comic your karmic ancestry might have nothing to do with this genetic ancestry. You might be coming from a completely different part of the universe mm -hmm. <laughs> dropping in here. And that's just an interesting thing. And it's a little contrast I've noticed in myself with people who are more shamanic. I'm not saying anybody's right or wrong. Right. I've just thought about the idea and I realized, no, I think about it more like what's the ancestry of my own line of spirit or my line of Shen or right. my line of this which might be different than the line of the Jing that I'm residing in. Not that all that stuff doesn't matter, but I, I have more of a, a sensitivity for that part where I know other people have more of a sensitivity for maybe like what we might call the Jing part, the genetic part. So anyway, I don't know what you think and, about and that. No, no, I, I have a thought. thought about so mm -hmm. not to, you know, I don't want to go down this road too much because it's, it's a bigger road. However, I can appreciate that point. I think what I have come to be more aware of and appreciate currently is that like, I'm not so sure of the randomness of our incarnation, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. even if that's true, even if what you're saying is true, I'm not so sure as the randomness of how it connects you know. to that particular jing. Right. And so if it's not random, I'm not saying that it's all fate or whatever, but let's just say that there's some middle ground where there's some attractiveness, right? That it's not, you're not just a pinball in a wheel and you just kind of come out wherever you come out. That then inherent in inherent in the in the DNA, inherent in the hardware that you are merging with, we'll use a shamanic term, that you are merging with in this existence is the life of an opportunity to enlighten yourself, whatever, do all these, take all these practices, learn all these things. But then the unlocking of the latent work that's within the, the physicality of, of this vessel. It also kind of falls on responsibility of the user as they're using it. I see. So what you're saying is like, okay, even if you landed within this Jing, <laughs> okay, no matter who you are, clean up the Jing that you're in, clean up that ancestral line. Why not? <laughs> Why not? You're there now. <laughs> you're there now. And why not do it? If that is actually a point of him. Okay. I can, I can vibe with that. And mm -hmm. to your point, it will help you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. It will yeah. help you. And and the shamanic view of this is that like your ancestry is a great source of power for you. Now, you and I both practicing, you know, you more so than, than, than me in a sense, for sure. You know, practicing Buddhists, like there's many people that are not Buddhist at all. That are, I'm sorry, that are not Tibetan. Probably mm -hmm. far more people who are not Tibetan <laughs> than are Tibetan who practice. That's part of their trouble Tibetan. with the Chinese right off the bat. Right. Right. Yes. So, so they have an immediate problem with that. So there, uh -huh. there's this, right? But there, but they don't have, but there's many non-Tibetan lamas, many. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they get some questions like our, our friend Lama Glenn, our you know beloved teacher who was on before. Mm -hmm. You know, we should have him on again. Yeah, we have um, to do that. Mm -hmm. But they ask him, you know, what happened to you? Uh, you know, and he's like, oh, my GPS signal was off. I was meant <laughs> to land in, in Nepal, but I ended up in Canada. The mountains are so pretty, you know, but it, yeah. it, it does have this thing. And so to, to, you know, to kind of like this point, it's like, that is, it's an opportunity that, that should be taken because there is, there is benefit for you and in beings who are literally related to you in a physical sense, you know?
Yeah. And so Just, that that's kind of the, the, the impetus. I got like, as a capper of this from my side, I got no, in listening to you and Mary Kay, I'm like, I got no argument with this. You know what I mean? I've been like, you know, you listen to, we do this podcast. <clears throat> we talk with people, we talk with one another, you listen. And, you know, we try to learn, right? Um, from everybody we have on from each other, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I've obviously I thought about this and I'm like, okay, this is maybe different than my kind of like gut level intuitive way that I think about this, but I'm certainly open to the shamanic idea of it. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And I can't deny looking at my patient, like this did something great for her. And that's always impressive for me because I'm like a doctor and, you know, percentage of my identity. If something works, I'm in, you know? You give an herb, you give a treatment, you give it this, it works. I'm like, okay, that's the proof for me, right? This is proved. Mm -hmm. um, but I, part of why I only wanted to close on was the idea, like if I look at it back, like phenomenologically in my own experience of this, and maybe this is a problem somehow, or maybe it's not. Talking to you and Mary Kay, like Mary Kay would move back to Ireland, you know, like our beloved, you know, shamanic guest and just general beloved person in our existences yeah, yeah. she'll move back to connect back to her roots she feels that right where for whatever reason if i just look at it subjectively i don't feel it you know what sure. i mean i don't know what that means i'm not trying to like uh say it means something one way or the other maybe it's a blind spot on my part maybe it's because i'm so drawn to the more this other part of the buddhist way of thinking maybe it's because i don't want to connect with these ancestors <laughs> they got an issue Whatever it is, that's okay. I'm, so I just wanted to share that phenomenological part because sure. I think it's interesting. I've talked with people like you and Mary Kay where you feel it. I don't. I don't know what it means, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, I'm open to like uh, to the exploration of what it means, and it's not nothing. And but I wanted to share it just because there might be other people who feel like me. Sure. Yeah. Sure. All right. Anyways, cool. So we have so we have that as like the background of our beings, right? And then we have our own individual lives as we move forward in our families, in our communities, and you know, we're certainly learning as we live, but we're far more vulnerable in our youth. And we learn through the adults around us. We learn through our community. We learn through our friends, through our social interactions and, and things like this. And um, the sort of implementation on, on these relationships, these relational situations, on how we behave and then how we respond to them ultimately is my assertion, become our egos, become our existential guardian operating system. And it's a means of navigation, it's a means of adaptation, and it's a means of protection. Now I, I use those three on purpose, right? So adaptation is how you can socially thrive. Right. Well, that's Freud's almost like reality tester. Okay, there we go. Yeah, that's kind of like to pull back from the earlier part of the conversation. That's kind of that. Mm -hmm. Adaptation can have a positive or negative connotation to it, right? So you can adapt positively and say that like, um, you know, you can learn that humor helps to soften someone else's mood, <laughs> right? But then you might learn that humor too far insult somebody and so you don't do right so you don't you Sometimes don't I'm dealing that. that with my son now <laughs> right it's like you gotta learn the line yes to where it's funny or where you're gonna like step on somebody and they're gonna be pissed off at you yes <laughs> you learn that line yes yeah 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 so there's that's, that's very personal too because i know you've talked about the idea that you traveled around a lot 
when yeah. you were a youngster and you had to yeah. learn how like how do I vibe how do I get into new situations maybe yeah. that's a tool I can use right and so this adaptation then allows you to be successful in these in these things and then the last one is is the protection and I think this this is what I think that people are, are so you're saying about. make sure I follow it you're saying yeah. learning adaptation and protection those are the three ones that you're doing yes yeah okay. navigation mm -hmm. ad navigation adaptation and protection okay and mm -hmm. so okay. One is just f figuring what's, you know, this is like my nervous system. I'm, I'm like going and what's going on around me. I'm just sort of like figuring things out, you know, that's an, that's an navigation piece. Okay. Yeah. And then the, the adaptation is like, okay, A plus B equals C mm -hmm. or, or, or C equals B plus A, whatever. Right. Well, adaptation would be like, something's going, there's a problem. I better try to fix it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, try to fit and, and then and then either how, in a healthy way or a pathological way, depending. Right. right? But it's mm -hmm. you're you're responding to your stimulus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the defense part is the other part. This is the part, and, and I, when I say defense, I don't necessarily mean we'll use a nervous system term, fight or flight, right? It doesn't always necessarily mean shield. It could mean attack, actually, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So in some ways, you may be a victim of of abuse. Well, you may be you know, hiding and, and, and scared for at some point, but then, you know, later on, you're going to say, well, fuck, I'm tired of being scared. That ain't going to happen no more, mm -hmm. you know? And now you're, you become the abuser in order to not be abused any longer. It's kind of like a the weird thing of people flitting between like uh fight and flight stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes yeah, yeah. you're like this and sometimes you're like, fuck, I'm going to no, lash yeah, out. And right. both of those things might be pathological in the sense that they're, they get extreme or something. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's from, like, that, problematic environments. That is the more, and I think that is the part, but it's, it's not so violent, right? Not as, not in today's society. I mean, there is obviously tons of violence, tons and tons of violence. You know what I'm getting to more convinced of though? There's a lot of violence. There's there really a lot is. of violence. There's a lot there of for, violence. There for really sure. There's is. a lot of violence. And mm -hmm. it doesn't, all those people, all, all of those people always weren't violated, but there was, they're responding to the extra, I believe, you know, because I think inside in the core, we're good. I think we're all good, no matter who you are. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, I've been, you know, reading some things that they're, they're interviewing prisoners and things like this. And this, the, the accounts of their childhoods are horrific, yeah. horrific. If you read them and they opened up, you know, I'm sure there's more. You'd be like, oh, well, no wonder you're this way. I mean, what the hell? Mm -hmm. You know, like, who did that? You know, so like, it's it may not be ancestry like 10 year, 10 generations ago, but it's definitely like your parents. And then you're like, oh, your parents were pieces of shit. And then you go, well, what happened with their grandparents? Oh my God, your grandparents are people. You're like, yeah, no yeah. wonder. No, yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. It's it's mm -hmm. no wonder. And and it's this kind of thing. And so this- But well, that's like the learned behavior aspect of that too, as well as whatever that might do genetically. And so- That's that's yeah. exactly what I was saying. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. this kind of like the last part, the, the defensive portion, you know, that's the part that we generally see as the as the egoic portion, right? As the one that's interacting with the world. So it is you, but it is the you to your point earlier. It's the separate, the separate version of you, the subjective version of you that is responding to the object in a particular way. And you could be sort of navigating, you could be adapting, but more likely we're responding off of defenses. And when you're responding off of defenses then the sharper aspects of our personality will sort of come to the come to the surface and start to navigate through these various situations that we will have and else then and you focus more on yourself and then now the sort of like individual components of your character start to kind of like pop up more to the surface along with your defensive persona so that you can feel whatever empowered safe uh, you know 
whatever yeah, you, however yeah, you yeah, want yeah, to do yeah. it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It kind of like, if I click it back to the psych stuff we did at the beginning, there's overlaps with like a few things. One is with like the two Carls, Carl Jung and Carl Rogers, two of my favorite Carls. I also had a, my mom had a cousin, Carl, very nice guy. <laughs> I have a friend named Carl. Really good at like making models. He was an adult guy who could make these amazing, like, you know, you get down in the basement in his house in St. Louis, lots of models that were very cool. Anyways, uh, um, uh, so in Carl Jung, he talks about the idea, and we'll do deep cut on, deep dive on him at some point, but he does talk about this idea of the persona. That's, I think, part of what you're talking about there, yeah. too. Yeah. You develop a persona, a way of functioning in the world. Yes. That's partially, uh, like, I think fits around some of your ideas of navigation. and uh, fits on all three, navigation, adaptation, and, like, protection, right? All three of those things, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because it helps you. And, like, one of the things that Jung says is, like, sometimes the persona takes over too much for people. Yes. He would watch kind of clinically and he would say, people might work in a certain profession, you know, maybe they're a doctor or a lawyer or whatever it is. And they start carrying that back into their life everywhere. They develop such a sense of persona that uh, it's like kind of on all the time even. And he thought that this was like a major problem, like to what you're saying, they couldn't turn off that existential guardian operating system just off and it was constantly functioning. So they were always operating through this persona part of who they are, you know? Mm-hmm. The other thing that hit me about it from like, and we'll do a deep dive on Carl Rogers even more too, because these are great people. Um, uh, but you know, on the Carl Rogers side, he talks about this self-concept thing and the idea that you develop a self-concept could be good, could be pathological, you know? And so I think what you're getting to is the idea that like a lot of this uh, existential guardian operating system thing is kind of like can go pathological, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But so self-concept can be pathological. That's a weird way to talk about it. And then Rogers, he usually emphasizes the idea clinically in psych cases. What you're really doing is you have a self-concept that's pathological. Yeah. Right. That's one of your main problems. The person is going to carry a pathological self-concept or in the lingo you're using, a pathological existential guardian operating system. But you're kind of saying like the same thing. He's saying the self-concept tends to be pathological. It tends to be something wrong with it. It doesn't really vibe right for the full complete human, right? Something goes, something's wrong. And I think in your uh, your uh, existential guardian operating system, where you're framing it, the idea is that that a lot of times is going to go wrong, mm-hmm. unfortunately, right? Mm-hmm. It could be functional, but a lot of times it goes haywire it and the guardian haywire. system yeah. isn't operating. And the other thing he mentions really interesting, which I think you think, but maybe we haven't fully said it yet, would be it wants to protect itself. So it doesn't just want to protect the person. It's like, he makes the point, it's self-guarding which we can talk about maybe when we do him a little deeper, but the self-concept, once it's there, it only, it doesn't even just operate to protect the person somehow. It operates to protect itself. Like those crazy, like 2001, the space odyssey, the computer goes crazy (laughs) and it's supposed to protect the ship, but it starts protecting itself. Mm. You know, he kind of makes that point, which I don't, I think it's implicit in what you're saying. So I thought I would just throw it out there because it's the other one of the other things that popped up when yeah, I was kind so of looking at the I, yeah. I'm so that would that would say that like itself has sentience, right? Because it has a self-preservation mm-hmm. aspect. I don't know that I necessarily well, if that in my mind, that means that it's a separate entity. And that is not something I believe actually. Well, it's, a, it's like, I think what they would say is it's part of a psyche and the psyche has multiple components. The same way, like the uh, default mode network is part of a glob. Sure. Something like that. 
Yeah. I, I think that I think that it that raises is, a weird question of what does it mean for something to have sentient and sentience when you have like multiple parts of a human being. But right. Anyways, so yeah, yeah, so yeah. my 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 thought is that no, it's the same sentience. It's the same sentience. And that it's doing its job. And it's guarding itself because that's an again, that's a defense mechanism. If you were to come and attack it and you know you're trying to shoot it, you know, I don't know, missiles at my invisible shield, you know, I'm gonna try and bolster the shield because uh -huh. that's my source of Captain, defense. put yes. power into the shield. It's like every Star Trek episode. Exactly. <laughs> every every sci-fi thing ever. Yeah. Um and so yeah, I, I yeah. So I think that it's doing its job because it's still guarding the person. You're attacking the defense system. But the defense system is the first and last line of defense, right? And you know we're not going to have time to to go into it. But do like, you see it, do you see that way as like purely like a defense system thing then? And that in that situation, yes. I I so I think that the the ego the, in the way that we're talking about it, in the way that it gets used in the in the normal lexicon of of description, is the defense system. That's how I view it, right? When they mm -hmm. talk about it in in the media or in something they'll say, oh, this is a egomaniac or this is a, right? This person who is driven to be focused on themselves and themselves only at always at the cost of somebody else, right? Maybe with their own life, maybe with their sense of, you know, with a sharp sense of humor or some, right? These kind of things. And then in the in the spiritual sense, it's like, oh, you have to overcome the ego. You have to transcend the ego, meaning you have to write, you know, you're going to have to like, uh, essentially like escape from your own prison in a sense. Right. <laughs> and so what I'm saying is like, that I think is what we're talking about on one sense, but I also want to highlight that, like, it is your adapt. This is your ability to adapt and your ability to be in, in a navigatory kind of experience with your reality as the subject being steeped in the object and not having such a clear delineation of either or, that there is this sort of like osmosis that occurs, right? You're moving back and forth, right? But that barrier, if you're not conscious of it, is not just like a semi-permeable membrane, but actually becomes quite spiky and quite rough. And so then the um, the separation, the feeling of separation increases. And once that occurs, that spikiness then gains momentum, gains habituation. And we're all product of like what we do yesterday and yesterday and yesterday it becomes more who we are and it, it grows strength like a muscle. And so when you mm -hmm. go and you try and poke at it, well, what's it going to do? It's not going to go, oh, it's going to poke back because it has learned and been positively rewarded from internal validation and from the external you know, world that this is the way that I should be. This is the way that I am. I can't be anybody else but me. Yeah, but who were you before you were now? You know, like- So like the standard kind of like, because I come from this psych background, right? And like, yeah. you think about a clinician. So a couple of things pop up with that to me. If you think about something like a self-concept even, part of the point that's made, and I think you're alluding to this too, is this idea like at some point that was probably functional. Yeah. It probably wasn't like shitty from the beginning even. It, under certain circumstances, that thing probably worked, which is the reason why that kind of like evolved, you know, in that person, you know, so that even when they talk about the self-concept, it would be the idea like, yeah, that was adaptive at some point. Yeah. Even in our little TCM field, there's a guy named uh, Dr. Leon Hammer, who was a child psychiatrist and also like a TCM person. And he kind of makes this point. At some point, those patterns in that person, you know, whatever that patterning of themselves is, you know, mm. the way that they kind of function probably worked to some extent, mm -hmm. right? 
that at some point it won't work anymore. Mm -hmm. When you poke at someone, it is true, right, from a psyche kind of language point of view, that you're going to get defense mechanisms a lot. It's one of the main problems, you know, and we know mm -hmm. this clinically. You try to, like, get someone to change, you get resistance mechanisms, right? And we all know them. It's when you poke at the person, and maybe you don't even mean to poke. <laughs> right. You're not trying to be pokey. But something goes funny for them, and then they pop back at you, or something weird happens. They start acting weird. Then there's a whole line of thought that says you probably hit something that's a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. Or in the lingo you're using, some part of the existential guardian operating system is like going because it feels mm -hmm. as an attack, right? Mm -hmm. You know, however that got built up. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing is, I would say, and if, you know, if we have different thoughts and feelings on this, this is totally fine as we get to the end of the episode for today. It's been yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, which would just be the idea, like, I got no issue with like multiple parts of a person that doesn't yeah. bother me. Yeah. yeah. And you'll have to, we'll, we'll kick it around more as we go. Yeah. I don't have, and I, and I, and I think it's, it's, you know, like, like I use this example, you know, all the time. So for people who hear all the time, I apologize, you know, but like colors in the visible light, it's a mm -hmm. rainbow. They're all there, but they're all light. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so this is much of the same thing. Like all these things are occurring at once, but the point, I think for me, what I, what I would say probably in, in opposition to what you were, what you were referencing, not yourself, but like when things go bad, like mm -hmm. you were referencing earlier about like good and bad. Mm -hmm. I don't think that this particular thing has gone bad. It's just over adapt. It's overcompensated. It's over adapted. And now it's to the point where it's so fixed and kind of like oddly growing that it doesn't necessarily fit, right? Obviously, we don't mean bad like evil. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we mean bad like, oh, that's probably not healthy. Not healthy. That's yeah. the not good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. not good. Yeah. yeah. So you didn't do anything wrong. And I know that's a sensitive thing when we talk about these things. Part of what I think you like to do is say, hey, let's not blame people about stuff. Exactly. Let's not try to frame them in a negative way. They've probably been framed negative in their lives enough. For Let's sure. Not frame again. And I agree with you. So, you know, I hear what you're saying. Not to say something is bad, mm -hmm. but everyone, I mean, to be a clinician, you know, and to try to like think about changing human beings and human beings' behavior and helping people get better, there is this part. And I, we'll talk about more next week, I guess, right? Yeah. Where sometimes sure. you have to go, like, okay, this isn't functional for you anymore. Yeah. This piece isn't working. And I guess we'll, that's probably an ending point, right? That, that, we'll, that's, well, that's, that's where we're going next time. That's exactly yeah. where we're going. It's it's to, you know, find out like what's happening, like what what's happening. I think there's for me, there's there's three pieces. Um identification and investi and investigation. You know, mm -hmm. find out A, what are we protecting? What are we protecting it from? And then why are we protecting it? And then when you can go through this. Then we can start to look and break things down and say, okay, you know, what is our model of behavior when this occurs, when that occurs, when that occurs, and you start to become even more conscious of the things that you were unaware of. It's empowering. And to me, like, as I'm, as I'm growing and I'm, we're, we're having these conversations on a weekly basis, which I'm very grateful for. We're also grateful for our audience, you know, who give us feedback and, and show us love. Like we definitely appreciate it. Uh, I am, feeling more as time goes on that like the, in the act of enlightenment is becoming aware of all of that. Mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. it is, it is the, the transformation of what I believe myself to be, but then also the transformation of what I don't know myself to be at the same time. Mm 
You know what well, I'm it's saying? It's kind of like you're developing, a, like, a, I would say, a clinical spiritual philosophy and language, right? Yeah. That are capturing, capturing ideas that you're using for yourself and for the people that you work with, right? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. as as is going on, I'm just I'm just kind of like starting to see how this how this goes, and different people react in different ways, and sometimes it is the far more timid, you know, quiet kind of inverted, introverted individual, and then other times it's the loud, young, very boisterous, you know, seemingly outgoing, you know, whatever. And there's a balance to be had with it all, but if we don't approach it, then we never will be able to to diagnose a, and we won't be able to even have the conversation around it because. Even talking about it, you'll get your, you'll be pinged. Oh, oh, oh. what are you saying? Yeah, yeah. You know, like, who are you talking defense. about? Defense, right? That's, it's and defense. that's the, it's defensive. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I yeah. think it's, you know, getting, doing, getting ready to do this men's retreat in, in, um, you know, in a, in a little, you know, in a few, a couple months from now, like I'm just starting to kind of, as I talk to people about it, I'm, I'm hearing it a little bit and I'm, you know, seeing all the various aspects to it. And it's, you know, it's interesting. So I'm trying to put language on something that I'm, that I am feeling. You know, and I'm also <laughs> seeing, but it doesn't have, it's not a thing, you know, it's a, it's a construct in a sense. It's like, a, I mean, like a big part of my professional life has been like working with people who are um, becoming healers in different ways, right? Mm -hmm, For mm -hmm. all of us. And like, mm -hmm. maybe that's one of the deepest things about becoming a healer. I mean, I felt that way about myself. I, you know how do I describe this for myself? How do I describe this yeah. to myself? What's a way that I think about it that I can make work for me? you know, also that feeds back, you know, like Carl Jung can say whatever he's saying, this person can say whatever he's saying, but I also have to have this in a language and in a way that I can use it, that like I see it, that makes sense to me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That uh, resonates with me. Anyways. Okay. So we'll pick it up, right? We will pick it up. Yeah. We'll, we'll continue. We're going to continue right from here when, uh, when we get <laughs> back in and, and, you yeah. know, it'll be, and this is not just for healers, right? This is for self investigation. That's the yeah. I think anyone trying to change themselves, part of like what you have to figure out, like even like getting the language, getting the terms, getting the ideas, is like healing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's part of the healing process because now you're recognizing stuff, right? Yeah, yep. mm -hmm. that's your I and I, your identification and investigation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I like things in three, so I might add inquiry in the beginning of that. You know, you have to <laughs> the seed, the seed of curiosity has to be there. You have to know, you have to want to do it in the first place. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So anyways, well, Eric, as always, thank, cool. you, for the, thank, you, so thank much. you for the good conversation. Uh, yeah. Thank you for watching us on, you know, whatever podcast platform you're using, Apple, Spotify, Podtail, I don't know, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're on the YouTube, you know, hello, uh, like, comment, subscribe. If you're checking us out on the Apple, please go ahead and, and leave us a review. It helps the show out. You know, uh, share is sharing is caring as they say. So please feel free to share. This is a labor of love. Eric and I don't ask for donations. We don't do any of those things. All we ask is that, um, you know, you share with somebody that might feel benefit from it. We certainly yeah. benefit and we love to hear from everybody. So uh, if you want to hit, hit us up on, on one of the platforms that you're on, or you can email us at ginandtantra at gmail.com. That's ginandtantra at gmail.com. For Eric, this is Daniel. We'll catch you in the next one. Peace. You to get together, I want you to get together, put your hands together one time, I want you to get together, I want you to get together.